Well, good evening. We're thankful again for your attendance this evening. Had a good crowd this morning. We've had a very good day, even as Lance prayed a moment ago. We appreciate so much Atlanta's great example this morning and that great family. Uh, such an encouraging moment this morning, time to be together, and we appreciate you being here. I'll mention this one more time here, as I did this morning, but uh, the Back to the Bible booklets, those are still on my desk right now, but I'll do my best the next couple of days to get those out, maybe a handful in the library. Uh, and again, we've got a limited supply, so they're not necessarily just to take, but if you have a Bible study, by all means, take them and study the Bible with someone. If you'd like to look through them, though, and see kind of how they're formatted, how it might work, look through the verses that are in there, then by all means, borrow some and maybe return them for the time being. Uh, but we appreciate the opportunity that the elders have offered to us by purchasing some of those so that we can have them out and have available. It's one of the interesting things that Rob Whitaker talks about as he goes around and does the evangelism seminar uh, that we talked about uh, through the last few weeks. Uh, but he says, he, you'll be amazed, he says, at how many churches I go to. And our first question is, hey, where's your, uh, where's your evangelism material? And they say, well, it's locked up in the secretary's office. And he says, well, they're afraid people are going to get to it. You know, what do you do when that's the case? And uh, I don't think that's always by intention, but sometimes we do that. We set it aside. We forget where it is. We don't use it. Well, we're hoping to change that a little bit here or just make sure that it's available for use. And so we appreciate that. And we'll make sure and get those out to you. Appreciate the good singing tonight at Carl's, well, all day. Carl's leading us in that. As we said this morning, singing up from the grave, he arose. Uh, how powerful it is to think about that. And even tonight, 10,000 angels, which we're, we're going to talk about in just a few moments. If you've got your bulletin in front of you in an outline, you may have noticed the title for the lesson tonight. Maybe intrigued you just a little bit to which route we might be taking that. But like many of you, music kind of means a lot to our family. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to sing just in the car and, and in fun and jest together. But even in seriousness, as we think about worshiping God in song. And so I've had this sermon idea for a while now. Uh, and we'll get into it more in here in just a few moments. But I thought we would just go ahead and, and give it a go tonight. So what do you think about when you think about the number 10,000? I mean, we could go around the room. We'd probably get any number of ideas of what might pop into your head when you think about the idea of 10,000. Now, this is Dalton Hinch. Some of you may not recognize him, but have heard his name recently. Last Wednesday night, he attends the University of, University of Northern Iowa. Last Wednesday night, they had a basketball game at home, and like many of these places do, they had a contest. He got his name drawn to participate in one of those contests where during a timeout, you know, in the middle of the game, teams are taking their timeout, he had the opportunity to make a layup, a free throw, a three-pointer, and then a half-court shot. Now, the way this contest worked, if he could do it all in 24 seconds or under, then he would win $10,000. Now, I know we're going to talk in just a moment how much $10,000 might be to you, but if you were in college, you know how much $10,000 would have meant to you when you were in college. But he had a chance to win $10,000 last Wednesday night. Now, the way the story goes... He was there in the gymnasium, and because it was in the middle of the game, they weren't able to use the clocks. They weren't able to use the different timers in the, in the gymnasium there. So someone's keeping count, and the way that it ended up working was when the 24-second clock, the timer was over, then the announcer in the stadium begins to count down. Three, two, one. Well, as it turns out, he hits the half-court shot to win the $10,000 in those three extra seconds that he got. So it hit the news wire, and it's kind of been talked about. You can look it up on the Internet or maybe see it on the news. 
Because by everyone in the stadiums, the gymnasium's account, he won the $10,000. But by the letter of the law, he actually did it in 27 seconds instead of 24. What ended up happening was the university came out and said there was a mistake. And the the people who supported this, uh, you know, the people who paid the money and supported this uh, kind of contest, were going to offer him $2,000 and some tickets to something else. And by the time the weekend rolled around, he was offered the full $10,000. And he put out a message. That was what that was picture was from he put out a message thanking the university and the company and everything because he was going to get the full ten thousand dollars but it's interesting for us to consider because i don't know what you think of when you think of ten thousand not just dollars but what about ten thousand dollars now i don't know for sure but i believe that's the way you know they're bundled together if you were to go pick up ten thousand dollars in cash in a hundred dollar bills doesn't seem like a lot there right it's kind of a small stack but we all know that's a lot of money I started to look up how many maybe snicker bars you could buy with $10,000 or how many, you know, pieces of paper or, you know, you could do the math and and figure out with $10,000 you could do a lot of different things when you have that much money. Well, what about in the term of steps or walking? Well, according to the average stride of a normal, you know, human being, adult, the average stride, 10,000 steps is about five miles. So, of course, we got a couple runners in the midst, or at least one, our brother Jeff there, but 10,000 steps, not necessarily gliding as you run, but 10,000 steps is akin to around 5,000 miles. What about 10,000 people? That's the Tivoli. It wouldn't host 10,000 people in and of itself there. But when you begin to multiply it out and think about, I think it's about 1,700, if I looked it up correctly, that would fit into the Tivoli for one particular event or concert, if you've ever been to a play or something like that there at the Tivoli here in town. So again, we start doing the math and 10,000 is a lot of people when you start filling that place once, twice, you know, three times, four times, over and over again. It's kind of interesting. If I'm being completely honest, there is actually a current song uh, in today's pop culture today pop today's pop hits that got my thoughts considering this number and now like many of our songs today of course unfortunately this one has a you know allusion to alcohol or drinking alcohol in it so I wouldn't recommend it to you totally but at the time that it was released or at the time that it was written one of the writers was going through their wedding and so the chorus of course is something that all women would swoon over you know I wish my husband had wrote that or I wish my husband would sing that to me but this is part of the chorus here it says I'd spend 10,000 hours and 10,000 more if that's what it would if that's what it takes to learn that sweetheart of yours and I might never get there but I'm going to try if it's 10,000 hours or the rest of my life now when we think about 10,000 hours with a loved one Uh, especially in a dating or a new relationship, right? That sounds so beautiful and sweet. Now, for married couples, we're doing good to make it 10 minutes and not 10,000 hours. So uh, some of you have met Heather and Patrick. I've been doing some of their marriage counseling. They're supposed to get married Saturday. So we've talked about all that, Uh, you know, married life versus dating life there. Um, But when we think about 10,000 hours, that kind of seems like a large number. So for me, that was one thing my mind kept coming back to in regards to hearing that song. When we think of 10,000 hours, I think I think of greatness. Now, hear me, not necessarily that it's the best or the most wonderful, but it just seems like a large amount. 
Not necessarily in and of itself is 10,000, but it seems like a large number, even because we use it in exaggeration, right? Our our kids say, I'm hungry. When are we going to eat? Well, 10,000 hours from now, right? Just leave me alone. 10,000 hours? Well, no, not 10,000 hours, but we kind of exaggerate. And when we do that, we pick 10,000 oftentimes. Maybe we embellish just a little bit. So tonight... If you've not already thought about it in your brain, as you've seen that number in the bulletin, there are a few religious or Bible-affiliated numbers that go along, or ideas that go along with this number. And so we're going to share a few of those tonight, and the lesson then will be yours. Number one, if you've got your outline in front of you, I think about great strength. If you've got your Bible, look with me in the book of Judges. The book of Judges. When I think about 10,000 and we think about 10,000 men, I think about great strength. Now, one of the places that we read about 10,000 in the Bible is several times in the book of Judges. Let's touch on a few very quickly here. The first one is in Judges chapter 1 and verse number 4. Judges 1, 4, Joshua has died. He was 110 years old. Joshua has died. And Judah continues the campaign against the Canaanites. And we see there in verse number 4 that Judah leads some of those Israelites up to defeat the Canaanites, and they kill 10,000 men and, and kill their king, excuse me, kill 10,000 men, and their king is captured. Now, we've already talked about judges, and we maybe missed this in our Book of the Month Club. There's an interesting story there in verse number 6. When they find the king and they pursue him, then they cut off his thumbs and big toes. One of those good Old Testament stories for you there. But the 10,000 men are what is slain here. Now, I don't know exactly how many Israelites there were, but they're able to accomplish this feat. Look in Judges chapter 3 in verse number 9. Excuse me, Judges 3, 29. Judges 3, 29. Do you recall the story of Ehud? Our young kids love to sing about the judges with Heath up here usually uh, during... Uh, the Pewpacker session, but Ehud, as the judge, kills Eglon or Eglon and leads Israel in Judges 3.29 to defeat the Moabites and kill 10,000 of their men. Now we know in the Old Testament that numbers is a big deal. How many numbers, how many they had, they're always going into battle. And so Ehud is going to lead uh, the children of Israel here and they're going to take out 10,000 of the men of Moab. Notice if you turn there, all stout men of valor and not a man escaped. Look on in Judges chapter 7, a familiar story in Judges 7 of Gideon. But Gideon had a valiant 300. But if you remember the way that story begins uh, there, that he actually has more than that, of course, beginning in verse number one and two, and they're going to turn some of them away. 22,000 people in verse number three return, and it gets down to 10,000, a great number. Now, of course, in the case of Gideon, we're going to take that 10,000 and get down to the valiant 300. But at one point, before they go to the river to see who's going to drink of the water, which particular way, they've got 10,000 men. One more, Judges chapter 20 and verse number 34. Judges chapter 20 and verse number 34. Here we have a pretty terrible story about a Levite and his concubine who was mistreated and killed by some of the Benjamites. And so this Levite leads the children of Israel. It says that all of Israel becomes one. And they're going to find these men, these Benjamites, and seek justice. And in Judges chapter 20, you begin to get this story. 
Verse 34 is where it talks about the 10,000, but back up a little bit. We see that the Israelites, as one, go against the Benjamites. The first day, they lose 22,000. Battle's not going so well, but they consult God when the day is over. Day number two, they lose 18,000. Still not going very well. We're up to 40,000 Israelites who are dead, and they consult God again. But on that third day, they draw out the enemy away from the city, and with 10,000, in verse number 34, select men, they come into the city and they gain victory. 10,000 men. I think about great strength, and certainly in the book of Judges, we see lots of different instances of people having this great strength or using this strength in numbers. Question, what could we do with 10,000 men? Now for us, and I was not the greatest at math, I'll admit, but I would think on our average, and I think we had like 107 this morning, we had 130 last week, but AM services around 120, we're talking 75 to 80 of our services here to get to 10,000 people. What if we had 10,000 men, 10,000 people who were striving to work together right here? Now, obviously that seems a little bit much for us here in the moment. Couldn't fit 10,000 people in the space right here. But just considering this idea of great strength, what could we do? What could we accomplish? How far could we take the gospel? Now we understand that numbers are not everything, having a bunch of people you may remember in Exodus chapter 23 in verse number 2. Exodus 23, 2, the Bible says, Do not follow a multitude to do evil. Just because there's a lot of people going one way doesn't mean that's where it all is. Even as we talked about this morning in our lesson. Acts chapter 2, how many do we begin with? About 12 or so there. There were 120 disciples there in Acts chapter 1 and 2. But, but those 12 that stand up and deliver that great gospel sermon on that great day of Pentecost... Numbers is not everything, but when we think about numbers and 10,000, we see 10,000 men listed several times, and that carries with an idea of great strength. Secondly tonight, what about great power? I appreciate Carl. I'd ask him earlier in the week to lead 10,000 angels. Uh, if you have your Bibles, look in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. If you're making notes there, the whole passage is Matthew 26, 47 through 56, or the verses. But you may recall here of Jesus' betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane. And of course, as they come to take him, then it is in that particular passage, beginning in verses about 52 or so there, Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, of course, Peter, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Now, some of you are probably familiar with this story behind this song. The, story, uh, the song 10,000 Angels as we sing it was wrote by Ray Overholt. He was born in 1924, 1924 in Middleville, Ohio. The story goes he was a talented musician. He had his own television program for a while. And he also spent time in nightclubs, drinking heavily, living that kind of lifestyle. So born in 1924, around 1958, he decided maybe he should stop that. And maybe it wasn't benefiting him. Maybe this wasn't working out the way he wanted to. And so he decided, maybe I should try my talents writing a song about Jesus. Well, as 
he was living the life he had lived, he knew nothing about Jesus. So he picks up his Bible simply and begins to open it. He starts reading and he comes to Matthew chapter 26. And of course, as a songwriter, this you know, song just kind of hits him here. This idea of reading what, uh, what Jesus has to say here. I thought it was interesting in doing the research there on the background of the song. Someone said, rarely has a songwriter been led to Christ by his writing. Right? Usually we hear songs and we say, oh, that's kind of interesting. That kind of makes me think about the Bible. But yet here's someone writing about Jesus, never having known about him, and it kind of causes him to think about these things. Now again, many of you are probably familiar with this story behind this song. The Bible never says 10,000 angels. And in fact, it was later that Mr. Overholt learned of his mistake in his math. A legion here, as Jesus says, 12 legions of angels in verse number 53 is estimated based on the time that it was used between 4,000 and 6,500 men. So 12 legions of angels would have actually been more like 72,000 angels instead of 10,000 angels. I don't know that flows right with the notes in the song there, but 72,000 angels as opposed to 10,000. That's what it would have been more like. And he learned that later when he kind of did, did the research. But of course, I assume he had already written the song, maybe even published it some. But it begins to remind us of the power of Jesus. Great power. Whether it's 72,000 angels or 10,000 angels, there's great power. And what I could not stop thinking of in reading this passage again and thinking about this idea is what control? That idea that Jesus says, do you not know are you not aware that I could pray to the Father and bring about 10,000 or 72,000 angels right now? What control he exercised in his life? Think about it. The temptation with the devil. Could he not and would he not have wanted to if it were not me? Would I not have wanted to put that devil in his place and just jump down or make the stones become bread? I would just wanted to do it, to prove it to him, rub it in his face. I can do it. What control Jesus had? What about in the garden? When he prays, let this cup pass from me, he's almost yearning for maybe it not to happen to him. And then, of course, as we just touched on there, Malchus's ear, right? As this happens, this event happens in Matthew 26. He says, they come to me with 10, 15, 20 men, it doesn't matter. Don't you know the power I have? But yet he exercises self-control. What about his mock trial? How often standing there, maybe in chains, being whipped and beaten, did he just not want to end it? Right there and just say, it's over. I'm done with this. I'm going to show you guys what I can do, who I really am. But he didn't. He had the great power. He had the power of the angels. He had the power of the Father, but he continued. What about the hanging on the cross? What about hanging on the cross? I mean, it's the last moment. He's almost dead. It's the last moment. I want to stop this. I don't want to listen to it anymore. I can do it. And he knew he could do it. But yet he continues with that self-control to suffer for you and for me to die on that cross. He had the power, but yet he was willing to set it aside for what he knew he, that he needed to do. And I couldn't help but think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Yes, sometimes we want to show people we want to rub in their face. We want to talk about the power that we can have. We want to talk about what we can do. But we must exercise self-control. And what a great example. Even again, I appreciate Carl leading that song. To think about the great power that Jesus had 
yet he was willing to set it aside to do what he, know, what he knew he needed to do. Thirdly tonight, what about great thankfulness? Now this is another song, some of you are familiar with it, and again, this is kind of why, even as I was thinking about the current song in today's world, but others we think about, uh, I kept thinking about all the songs that we touch on, 10,000 Angels, and then and this is an even a newer one, 10,000 Reasons. It was written by an Englishman, at least he lived in England for a good part of his life, Matt Redman and Jonas Mirren. They actually, this song has won two Grammy Awards, in case you didn't know it, and may, you may be familiar with it. If you've got your Bible, look with me in Psalm 103. Psalm 103. It's not a word-for-word rendition of the 103rd Psalm, but they do credit the 103rd Psalm as being part of their idea for writing this song. Psalm 103. The first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? When we think about the greatness of the Lord, we are thankful. I believe one of the writers of the song said this in an interview. He said, we live beneath an unceasing flow of goodness, kindness, greatness, and holiness. And every day we're given reason after reason why Jesus is so completely and utterly worthy of our highest and best devotion. If you've not heard this song, if you have access to the internet or YouTube, you can look it up and, and hear it. It's a beautiful song. Part of it goes like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. O my soul, I worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. It simply echoes what the Bible has to say. Psalm 34 in verse number 1. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 113. Psalm 113 in verse number 3. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord shall be praised. Psalm 30 in verse number 12. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. One more note here before we move on. If you've got your Bibles, look with me in Colossians chapter 3. And I want to look at the two passages that we often turn to. And make sure that you've noticed this before. In Colossians 3, beginning in verse 15 and down to 16 that we're very familiar with. And even in verse 17. We use this passage as one of the ones that we go to to talk about singing with our voices. And rightfully so. I'm thankful for that. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. But verse 17 continues in the same context. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verses 17, or excuse me, 18 and 19 and 20 there. When we think about singing, again, this is the other passage. And rightfully so, we sing to one another. We praise God with our lips. 
Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, seeking and making singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What in verse 20? Giving thanks. Do we live a life of great thankfulness? And let me ask you this. You sing the song, Count Your Many Blessings. How long would it take you to get to 10,000? In our case of our number here, how long would it take you to get to 10,000 things? My wife, my kids, my car, my house. How long would it take us to get to 10,000 reasons to sing to God, to praise Him and be thankful for what we have? And do you remember Luke 17 and verse 16? We talked about this with our kids just a few moments ago in our Bible Bowl study. As the ten lepers come to him and they leave, only one comes back. But that one Samaritan is described as throwing himself at the feet of Jesus to give thanks to him. He's been healed. He's had his leprosy gone. And he is literally throwing himself in thankfulness. Just one reason right there. Of course, leprosy was a big deal, as you know. But great thankfulness, 10,000 reasons. And then finally tonight, great commitment, 10,000 hours. So again, this goes back to the pop song of today, just a little bit. That song, Love Song, talks about being with someone for 10,000 hours. But I've shared this thought with you before. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is an author and writer, and he wrote a book a few years ago called Outliers. And he talked about the idea of spending 10,000 hours at something. That in order to be an expert, in order to be an expert at something, you need to have a, a bit of talent. Let's think about a basketball player. A basketball player in the NBA needs to have a bit of talent, a bit of blessing maybe with taught with height from his genes, from his family or whatever. So there's a little bit of talent, but then it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert. In that book, Malcolm Gladwell gives a couple of examples. One is Bill Gates. Bill Gates was born into a family and into a situation where he had access to a computer. Is Bill Gates a very smart person? I would dare say yes. Would he have been a $50 billion person or how much ever he's worth now if he had not had that access and been able to spend so much time with a computer as a young person before computers became so prevalent? I don't know, but he had access to that. The other example that Malcolm Gladwell gives is the Beatles. Everyone knows the Beatles, right? But not many people know that from 1960 to 1964, the Beatles were in Hamburg, Germany, and they lived there and they played some 1,200 times during the course of those four years. Almost every night they're going and they're playing. So what happens is they travel back and really begin what's going to be their career together. They spend almost 10,000 hours exactly in practice and in playing together. So let's do the math. 10,000 hours 417 days is 10,000 hours. So for us, on Sundays, that would be three, over 3,000 Sundays. You think you can be a good Christian after 3,000 Sundays? If you could be here for 3,000 Sundays? That amounts to about 65 years, by the way. All right, at 52 Sundays a year. Take you 65 years to reach that number if you're only here on Sundays. Or maybe it would take 28 years if you spent one hour a day. One hour a day, not even counting Sunday. One hour on Sunday, one hour the other six days of the week. 28 years, one hour a day at the Bible, studying God's Word to be an expert according to that thought process. The question is, what kind of commitment are you willing to make? 
10,000 hours is not exactly the magic number per se. It would take us a long time to get there. But think about how much time you got to put in if you only show up one service a week or two services a week or three or four and never do anything outside of services. One more passage, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, the lesson will be yours. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16 and going through verse 22. We talked about this with our young people tonight as well, but we talked about it in context of Luke's account of the rich young ruler. What does Jesus say? What kind of commitment are you willing to make? What does Jesus say? Go and sell all. That was their question in the Bible Bowl. What does Jesus tell them to sell? A fifth of what they have, a tenth of what they have, half of what they have? Go and sell all that you have. That's the commitment that he's looking for. And of course, many of us react the way the rich young ruler did. We go away sorrowful. Oh, it's a lot. 10,000 hours, all that I have. That's a pretty big commitment, Lord. I don't know that I can make that. What kind of commitment are you bringing to the table when we consider this idea of serving God? 10,000, 10,000 hours, it's great commitment. 10,000 can mean great strength, it can mean great power, but can also represent for us tonight as we enter into a new work week and we think about the days that lie ahead of us just right now, great thankfulness and great commitment. The question is, what will you do with your life? Let's break it down. What will you do with the next 150 hours, the next week? Let's set 10,000 aside for a moment, 150 hours the next work week. The next week altogether, what will you do with the next few moments? Will you become a Christian? Certainly the possibility exists that someone is here tonight who needs to make that great commitment initially, being added to the body, to the church, by the Lord, beginning to live faithfully. But maybe you're here this morning, and as we had a great example this morning, you can come back to him. You need to remain faithful up even unto the point of death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. We must continue to walk in the light. When we don't do that, when we fall away, we need to confess our sins, repent, and pray. Come back to him. No one has to leave tonight with worry on their mind. All of these numbers, although they seem like a lot, simply symbolize and sort of mean to us that we would make a commitment. We would become a follower of Christ. We would follow after him and be obedient to his word. Tonight, maybe you need to do that by becoming a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.